Hello and welcome to Living in a Time of Dying, the podcast about living in a time of global pandemic, social upheaval and injustice, climate catastrophe, and mass extinction. This podcast is a companion to the eponymous book, Living in a Time of Dying, Cries of Grief, Rage, Love, and Hope, co-authored by myself and Taoist mystic, Toltec I Ching master, wisdom teacher, and my dear friend, William Douglas Horden. I'm your host, Megan Elizabeth Tauk, a writer, philosopher, soul mentor, perpetual student, and mother of possums. In this podcast, I and my guests will engage with a selection of chapters from the book to explore the questions, the conundrums, paradox, and fractal edges of this thing called living. This is an invitation to commune and feel together the weight of these times with all the grief, rage, love, and hope that it arouses within us so that together we may dream a new world into being. Welcome back, dear listeners. Today, I am joined by my dear friend and teacher, Christine Goulding. Welcome to the podcast, Christine. Thanks, Megan. Today, we're going to be talking about the material from Chapter 6, titled On Grief, Rage, Love, and Hope. In this chapter, I introduce the polarity of love and grief, which are inextricable from one another in every moment and every relationship that we experience, as well as the rage which arises to protect that which we recognize is most precious, and the hope which impels us ever toward the future. So I also engage in this chapter with a section of a poem by Mary Oliver, and the poem is titled In Blackwater Woods. And the section of the, of the poem is something that I've been living with in, my, in myself and in my system. I actually have a tattoo of it on my body for quite some time. And it, I think it really relates to the material that we're going to be speaking about today, and I, and I speak about it in the chapter. And it goes like this. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal. To hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. And so I'll just let that kind of hang in the ether with us. And so first of all, welcome, Christine. For our listeners, I've known you for, I think it's like 16 years now. We met in early 2007 when I entered the IM Healing School, where you were, I think, doing your first teaching year That's right. uh, after you had also gone through that program. And um, without going too much into detail about <laughs> the, the, that first meeting, you know, I rolled into that healing school at a time in my life, I think it was probably the darkest night of my soul, of my life so far, knock wood. And uh, I was in pretty rare form. And, and I was so grateful to come into that, to, to find that program. And it really, it changed the course of my life. And you taught, you were a teacher of the, that first year. It's a four-year program. And so you were my teacher in the first year and then again in the fourth year. And I, I learned so much from you in those two years. You know, things that I, 
keep coming back to that are sort of, I feel like, pillars of wisdom for me that I find really uh, stabilizing in my life. And I have used them many, many times over in the last uh, 16 years. And um, so I'm very grateful that I met you. And then some 10 years later, when you started the Dynamics of Relationship program with our dear friend, Michael Rainoni, who is also uh, a teacher in the IM program, um, I, I, was, I was like, I'm in. I knew that I wanted to work with both of you and, and continue that, that journey of learning from you. And it's been very enriching and yeah, I've just I've I've gained so much and I've learned so much and I'm deeply deeply appreciative to have you in my life as a teacher and also as a friend who has a wonderful sense of humor and is very uh steadfast and tender in your care of those who come into your orbit. So, I'm really glad to have you here on this podcast and have your your voice in the mix. Mm. So that's how we know each other. And I also like to, you know, invite, that's how I know you, let's say, but I like to invite my guests to kind of introduce and define themselves for the listeners, um, whether that is pronouns, land acknowledgement, whatever identities you carry or the work that you do, however you want our listeners to know you, I invite you to, to introduce yourself now. Well, thank you, Megan. I'm I'm really excited to be here with you and I'm also just touched and humbled by your introduction and um, acknowledgement of, you know, what our relationship means to you. And um, so thank you for that. I'm just deeply feeling that right now. Um, interesting to to be in a position to define myself in this moment. Um, I think I would say that I'm a mystic and a teacher, a minister and a healer. Um, and all of those words have multiple meanings for me. Um, but I would say that you know, in the work that I do with people, I have a I have a private healing practice. And in the work that I do with people, whether it's individuals or couples or in group settings, you know, I, my function feels like it's to support people and guide people into like the feeling, like the feeling of life in a way that can be um, maybe safer than it's ever been for somebody. You know, I think it's, mm. um, I know in my personal journey, so much of my life, I didn't feel safe feeling what I needed to feel, like feeling what was happening in me. And, um, and I've sought, actively sought out like spaces and people with whom I can feel deeply. And, um, and so being able to provide spaces and relational experiences where people can have that same sort of process happening is super important to me. So mm. yeah, I would say guiding people and supporting people to feel 
together what has been unsafe to feel alone mm. is pretty important to me. Yeah, I love that. And and speaking as one who has been in those in those groups and has worked with you in that capacity, I I think I think the work is invaluable. I think it's so deeply what we need. And I also, you know, I've said elsewhere on this podcast, I I, I feel the need of that like <laughs> immensely in this world right now. And I'm and I'm so grateful for anyone and everyone who creates those kinds of spaces where that that kind of a feeling in relation can happen where we can ground together in the feeling of this moment and the feeling of holding both i think you know the tremendous trauma and 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 what what that has um kind of seeded in us uh whether it's in our own personal stories in our own personal lives or you know in our lineages or collectively but also holding like the the great joys and pleasures and you know there was a lot of laughter and fun in uh in the programs that I that I've done with you you know and and uh and I think that's so I want to feel deeply like the depths of the hardship and the and the suffering and the and the pain but I, and at the same time the the kind of ecstatic highs of just like a really funny joke, you know, <laughs> or or witnessing someone in the in the fullness and beauty of their expression. It's just it's really really powerful, potent work, and I think I think we all deserve it. And so thank you for bringing that into the collective field in the way that you do. Mm-hmm. And so I also like to start with a kind of brief check in. You know, I like to kind of ground in the moment with my guests and and just ask sort of generally, and so you can take this however however and wherever you want, but just generally like, how are you coming in in this moment? And also, if you want to go there in line with uh, sort of the topic of inquiry today, how are you currently holding or relating to grief, rage, love, and or hope? Yeah, fantastic. Well... I'll start by saying that today is my birthday. Happy birthday! (laughs) Thank you. So I'm coming in uh, actually with a fair amount of joy uh, present for me because I love my life and I'm eternally grateful that I am in a body and becoming more embodied all the time and that I get to, you know, interact with all the life (laughs) that's happening on this planet in this moment in time. And so my gratitude for my life is tremendous. And so when I get to my birthday, it's a pretty joyful, it's a pretty joyful day for me, (laughs) as most of my good friends know. So that's alive in me. While simultaneously, I, I'm coming in feeling feeling a tremendous amount of grief for the astronomical loss of life that is happening in this moment because of the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. And, you know, I was sitting in meditation before coming in and um, into our call today, and I I was weeping. um, And to be able to feel 
grief in this way is um, it's taken me a while to get here to be able to allow the movement of grief in my system to this degree. And I'm incredibly grateful to have done all the work that I've done to be able to feel this because, you know, when a, when a situation like this happens, you know, we're all so interconnected that to think that this is just happening, you know, halfway around the world for me and it doesn't matter and I, you know, I'm not connected to it is just doesn't make any sense to my mind anymore, but it certainly doesn't make sense in my system because I feel it. And I think it's really important that we feel what's happening in the in the world, in the collective, in to the to whatever degree we can, but I also think it's important that we that we continue to cultivate the capacity and the competency to do so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I mean, that goes straight to one of my questions. So I'm just going to dive in. You know, I, uh, Thomas Hubel, who is a spiritual teacher and one of your teachers, and I also follow his work. You know, he has this program of what he calls global social witnessing, where he is he is helping people to develop that kind of capacity to feel what is happening rather than just kind of scrolling past as as we so often do and as it is so easy to do, right? We have all of this uh, information at our fingertips because of technology. We hear about these things almost instantly. And yet at the same time, it's so easy just to kind of scroll past, scroll to the next story um, and really compartmentalize what we see happening around us. And so I'm curious, you know, how do you develop that capacity to to let it in, to let yourself feel it and and also not be overwhelmed or crushed by the weight of it. It's a beautiful question and an important question. Like most things, Megan, I can really only speak from my own experience. And the way that I have learned to to drop into feeling is through being with people who are skilled and competent to be able to feel with me. Mm. Because in my experience as a deeply feeling individual growing up in a family where the compartmentalization that you speak about was thick and rich and necessary for all of us to survive. um, I suffered (laughs) quite a lot and, you know, learned how to, to suppress, to move away, to distract myself from feeling but it didn't work well for me. And so as soon as I could uh, kind of sense that there were people who could feel things with me, you know, I was like, I was like a barnacle on that ship, man. I, <laughs> I was just right in there. And, and that's, that's led me to really finding remarkable and beautiful people who are also deeply feeling and willing to feel. And, you know, sometimes I stumble through it with people, 
in the beginning, certainly. But what I'm learning more and more is that trying to feel the depth and the breadth of something like grief or even something like rage on my own will often result in me in me becoming a bit overwhelmed and trying to get away from it. Mm-hmm. And then what yes. ends up happening is I start thinking about it and I think I'm with it, right? Like I think I'm feeling it, but really I'm thinking it. And being able to learn that distinction has been invaluable for me because the feeling of it as you know, I, I believe you've come to learn too, but the feeling of it is a, it's a sensory experience too, right? That, that something deeply happens in the embodied experience of, of being with an emotion in a mm. feeling way that, that thinking about it simply like thinking about it as a pale comparison to what Mm -hmm. actually happens when we feel, but most of us didn't receive the kind of, you know, we'll call it co-regulation or relation to, to be able to handle like, and stay with the intensity of those emotions in us. And, um, so finding people, finding people who are willing to feel with you, finding people who are willing to, um, to also talk about what it is that they're experiencing in their bodies as they're with an emotion. You know, I, that's a lot of the learning that we do, you know, that we did at the IM school and also that we do in the dynamics of relationship is bringing our attention and our awareness also into just what, what do I feel? feel at a sensory level, right? And becoming aware of those um, uh, sensations in our body, streaming energy, tingling, tightness, tension. You know, we all kind of feel these throughout our day, but we don't necessarily pay much attention to them. But oftentimes the experience of emotion is linked to physical sensations too. And sometimes it's the physical sensations that feel too much, which is why we need to get away from an emotion. And sometimes it's just the movement of that emotion feels like too much. But when we can learn how to feel our bodies, sometimes that's a safe way to to come into feeling an emotion, being able to, to really access that emotion. And sometimes we can titrate into it too. We can dip in a little bit, dip out, dip in a little bit more. But so finding people who are willing to explore this with you, I think is is essential because doing it on our own, we just have so many adaptations that we've created for good reasons not to feel mm-hmm. in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely so, so beautiful. This piece about um, doing this work in relation, finding the people who are also able or on the path of learning how to um, how to hold these these feelings together. 
and feel with each other and uh, develop the vocabulary because many of us have lost or have never developed a vocabulary for like, well, what is this feeling in me? What is this emotion, first of all? But then what is the sensation? What is the quality of it in my body? Maybe it's numbness um, to really explore all of that together because it seems that the doing it on our own is not really possible as you're saying like it that's like it, it's the doing it on our own that then like this the individual system that says like i don't have enough support you know um uh, is it thomas hubel or it might be gabor mate who talks about trauma as being maybe it's both of them uh as like trauma happens when something when an experience is too much too fast too soon and importantly with not enough support um and so when we experience something either individually in our own lives that is traumatic or we're witnessing the immense traumas that that happen whether just because of a a freak something like an earthquake and earthquakes happen or because of uh, a a deadly virus that sweeps across our world and uh, millions of people die or because of the sort of more systemic social injustices that cause immense suffering um, to to hold any of that just in my own corpus in my own kind of like tight little finite experience is is overwhelming and so those mechanisms that are very smart that come in and say like this is too much it's too much too fast too soon and you don't have the support come in kick me up into my head or out of my body or just like into what we would might call like apathy, right? Or bypassing that, 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 you know, and and I think there's a lot of judgment around those terms, apathy and bypassing and to acknowledge that like, okay, yes, we, there's a responsibility to come in and feel and really be with uh, these realities. And also those things that kick us into bypassing that kick us into apathy are doing it for kind of a, there's an intelligence there regardless of the the consequences of that intelligence, there's an intelligence that says like, this is too much, right? And so as you're saying, bringing us into relation, bringing us into community and creating those spaces of so that where we can hold this together is crucial and beautiful. And um, I wanna make an important distinction, Megan. Um, so, one thing that I notice when you are speaking right now is you're talking about how important it is to be able to receive support to to hold the emotion. And you're talking about how you're aware that when you try to hold the emotion in your like Megan body, right, it, it seems like it's just too much. And in my experience, part of the difficulty is trying to hold it mm. because emotion moves. Emotion is energy and it moves and it wants to move. And when we, when we feel safe enough to allow the emotion to move, then it's not about needing to 
sort of lean into the the limitations of our physical form to hold it. It's just we learn and can learn that it's safe enough to allow the movement of the emotion to happen. And then as the as the movement happens, the movement, the emotion is done. And it doesn't mean that it's not going to come back again, because oftentimes when we're feeling something deeply, it can come in a few waves in any given moment or over time. But the important piece is is allowing it, learning that we can allow it to move. Because thinking that we need to hold the emotion or that we need to hold ourselves together around the emotion actually causes suffering. And, and, Hmm. and that's that piece, you know, you've mentioned Thomas Hubel a few times, but you know, one of the beautiful tenets of his teaching is that healing is the restoration of the original movement. And that's so, um, inspiring to me and it you know and and in my own experience it's so true because when i can relax when i feel safe enough in relation whether that's with myself or with with you or somebody else or the divine when i feel safe enough to relax movement happens flow is happening and and there's a goodness to that and so the other piece I want to say is, in my experience too, we first need to to do this feeling experience in relation, and and I think we will always benefit from feeling in relation, but we can also build the capacity and the competency to be able to then be with the intensity of the movement of emotion on our own. And that's actually quite remarkable to, to live, to live with, you know, like to be able for me to sit in meditation before coming on with you today and to feel the upwelling of grief and to be able to ride that wave and like a wave, you know, it starts to come in, I can feel it coming in, then it increases, you know, it crests. And sometimes that intensity of the crest is, you know, I need to really breathe through and stay with, but then it subsides. And to, to have that skill and competency to be able to, to ride the waves of the emotions that are coming through us on our own is also remarkable. It's deeply freeing. Hmm. And then we can also be the one who's not afraid to be in a group of people and and to, to, to believe, okay, there's a lot of emotion happening here. I can trust myself to ride this wave and to be with people as this wave of emotion is moving through. And that's such a tremendous gift to the collective. Hmm. Yeah, beautiful. I think that, you know, what I was thinking about in terms of the the holding is, and, and I think that it's, thank you for bringing that in. It's beautiful wisdom. Um, I, I think of us as containers in a certain sense, like in terms of our, our, our manifest 
form. Like there are limits to our manifest form, both in terms of our physicality or, you know, our lifespan, et cetera. Like we're sort of these like little and 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 I the, those containers are porous. I don't mean to say that they're absolutely finite, right? But there is something about them as a container. <laughs> and so when the bigness of these waves of emotion come through these containers, I think you know I I, I experience this in myself, and I and I also witness it in other people. Like it can feel like the container cannot hold like like that the, the wave of the emotion is so big the storm of emotion is so big that it's going to it's going to dash the the container and so to save the to save like the the vessel <laughs> um from being submerged we like pop out of the vessel right like and so when i'm thinking about this in terms of not only like the immensity of grief but also joy and ecstasy can also be that we can also uh, av avoid the the intensity of pleasure um, because it can feel too big for the container and so I'm just curious to hear you know we've talked a bit about grief I'm also curious to hear what how you relate to the experience of emotions of of love and joy and also hope um, as they relate to this kind of context or what is the uh, what is the function? You know, I talk some in the book about what I see as the function of grief and rage and love and hope. That grief is to uh, kind of make sacred what is what is lost. Um, that that hope is what keeps us moving forward. That rage is a protective force. And that love is what kind of makes it all worthwhile or what knits everything together. Like that's like the, that's the foundation of it all. I'm curious um, how you would respond to that. I love, I love your exploration. And one thing that, one thing that arose for me as I was reading this chapter again, <laughs> um, it is for the way that I relate to this is that um, for me, life, life is sacred. And, and that is, that is, I think maybe one of the deepest, one of the deepest truths that I experience. And so when you talk about how you know how grief can can make life sacred for me grief is an acknowledgement of the sacredness of life yes right because the sacredness of life is hmm. and then when when life ends we grieve because there is an honoring of that sacredness of life that has been and is now done, has now completed. And so we grieve that. And, and I, I believe too that grief enables us to 
as we're acknowledging the sacredness of life, it also turns us toward the sacredness of our own life. Like there's a moment in the grieving of another that also points us to that beautiful sacredness of our own life and kind of dials up the light for a moment so that we can, you know, have a moment to, to realize the blessing of our own being. Right? Because we too are going to complete this living cycle at some point. And so it reminds us too in the grieving of our own sacredness in that moment. And all of that, you know, all of that is love. I mean, love is so many things. God knows we're not going to define love here on this podcast today. <laughs> but, <laughs> right, but, but that, like, you know, the, the acknowledgement or the attunement. To the sacredness of life, to me, I I believe is love. Like when we attune to that, that's love. And you know, and I often think about that. That in moments when I'm with somebody that I love deeply, and and I have this upwelling of love that happens, I sometimes wonder afterward. You know, was that just a moment where I was attuned to the sacredness of this being's life? I so wonder about that sometimes. And so to me, you know, the grieving process is so essential for us to be able to, right, to acknowledge this sacredness of life and that, and that this particular sacred life has completed. And then I get to touch into my own sacredness as well as I'm in the grieving process. And also in your you know, in the way you talk about rage, I found, again, as I was reading this chapter over, it, it brought up such an interesting inquiry for me, because I so easily go to grief rather than rage, because in my experience, rage carries with it some kind of violence or volatility. And I recognize, you know, in the inquiry that arose for me is, you know, oh, isn't that, isn't that interesting? I believe that I de deflect and, you know, I kind of distract myself from the rage that I feel. Mm -hmm. um, but I do feel the rage. And for as long as I can remember, you know, when I first heard the, the phrase man's inhumanity to man, when I was a kid, something in me, it touched something so deep in me. And I was like, that's it. Like, that's this feeling that I have in me that I sometimes, I sometimes think I can't go on because of this, this incredible heaviness in me. And then I heard that phrase and it, and it connected in such a way. And, and I thought, yeah, I'm so angry about this and I'm so confused about the way that we hurt one another, the way that we treat one another and the planet and the beings on this planet. And, and up until that point, I didn't really have any language for it. Um, but that's my connection to the rage. And I, and I get that, but I find that it's, it's safer for me personally as an individual's Christine Goulding to to go to 
grief rather than the rage. And and so I was grateful to be with I was grateful to be with the way you were talking about it in this chapter to open this inquiry for myself a little bit more to to see how I kind of absence rage hmm. oftentimes in my own experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Thanks for naming that. And without giving it short shrift, I'm curious where you see hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the way you talk about hope in this chapter. I love hope being, you know, this action and this choice that we make and the importance of hope. And for me, you know, as I talk about when I was a kid and this, you know, finding this phrase, right, man's inhumanity to man and how it touched a certain place in me, it also brought me into an awareness of this this movement in me that is inherently not optimistic, but hopeful. Like I will Mm. continue to move in the world in whatever way that I can to bring forth the world that I believe is possible, right? To bring forth the, the way of relating that I believe is is possible for all of us is is what we're hardwired for but we have because of all kinds of reasons needed to not maintain right and that's why i do the work that i do and feel incredibly fortunate to do that because because of this hope that i actively participate with in myself mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm not sure what else I would say about that in this moment. I'm trying to think because I'm trying to think back because I really love the way you articulated it in the book. Yeah, I mean, f- for listeners, um, the the quote that stands out for me that I wrote was that uh, something like hope is facing hopelessness and, you know, doing the thing anyway, whether that's, um, you know, just getting up every morning and doing the day or eating the meal or or whether it's um you know when i think about hope myself personally i I think about two things one i have to always mention james baldwin um when when he was asked in an interview i think at hampshire college in the um, early 80s before he passed away um someone said you know where do you find hope and he said well hope is where it's always been it's in black people themselves. And, and I love that quote. And I also think about um, a, a particular episode of the podcast. And I, I don't, uh, the, the podcast, um, the Red Nation podcast. And I don't remember what episode it was. It was sometime in the last year or something where they were talking about hope in relationship to what we now know or what we now call, you know, indigeneity or the indigenous, you know, people who have continue to exist in a site of resistance to colonization and oppression and genocide. And, and so this, this concept of hope is facing hopelessness and still, still doing 
what needs doing, still doing what you are called to do, still doing what what your integrity, that wholeness, that center of be of of wholeness within you, calls calls you to. Whether that is um, again like treating your own life as sacred and waking up ever choosing to wake up every day, and sometimes some people for where they're at, like that is the thing. I mean, I have been there. Waking up every day was getting through a twenty four hour period. That was it. That was all I could do, you know. Or whether it is um, continuing to speak your language, or dance your sacred dances, or you know, uh, struggling on front lines of ecological devastation or um, oppression and violence. And so I think there are there are myriad uh, flavors of hope, but sort of the the base ingredient perhaps is that piece that where we align with what we know is sacred you know as you say life is sacred where we align with that sacredness that's in us that also um reverberates and reflects the sacredness in every being and in the whole and when we align with that that is the seat of hope and that is what keeps us moving into into tomorrow and into as you say the future that that we dream of and that I I believe we all deserve. Mm-hmm. And um, with an eye on the clock, um, I want to just a couple few last things. Um, this is my wild card. I'm going to toss at you, and you could you can pass this. You can you can say pass. It's that's fine. That's an option. Um, but I'm just curious if there are any other chapters or parts of the book that you found compelling, that moved you, that challenged you, and that you'd like to uplift here before we close? Yeah. I, okay, so chapter eight. Um, A crisis of belonging? No. no. Well, that's the other one. So the two that I'm going to talk about, right, are chapter 10, A Crisis of Belonging, and chapter eight, ro- The Road Paved with Feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those chapters speak to me deeply and I, I mean, clearly in the way that I've been talking about feeling, um, today a little bit, the way that like thinking and feeling are, are explored in that chapter, um, in chapter eight, uh, it's really important. And I think I think that people diving into that chapter a little bit more, um, mm. it lends a really beautiful lens on on that differentiation. And and in my work, so much of the time, I'm honoring the need with people to go up into thinking, um, and then also orienting orienting us back into the potential of feeling what's here rather than thinking about it, right? So the potential of feeling joy rather than thinking about joy. <laughs> and, um, and you know, what an incredible thing when we feel safe enough to do that, what can happen for us. So I loved that chapter. I loved playing in that chapter. And the crisis of belonging that chapter moves me deeply and 
is something that, again, in my own way, I think about on a daily basis, moment to moment, this experience of how we how we all are longing to belong and and what we what we settle for like the mm. the bare minimum of belonging that we settle for in the way that our culture is structured in this moment in time and versus the the beautiful richness that is possible the beautiful rich belonging that is possible and um and i just i really love how you explore it in that chapter too and it's very near and dear to my heart so. mm, thank you dear it's one of my favorite favorite chapters as well and and definitely material that i i think about all the time yeah all the time and we'll probably continue writing about as well so um as we close i'm just curious if there are any places that like if you wish to be found um is there anywhere that you would like people to go to find your work? And if you don't want to be found, that's fine too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm working on being even more found. So I appreciate the, yes. the invitation, right? Yes. I'm so glad to hear that. Okay. Where can we, where and how can people find you and your work? Okay. So uh, I can be found on my website, which is www.christinegoulding.com. We'll be linked in show notes. Excellent. Thank you. And, and also, although this site is going to be in um, going under renovation very soon, uh, the other way you can find me and, and also read a little bit more about the Dynamics of Relationship course, which is on the site www.thedynamicself.com. Beautiful. Beautiful. Also will be linked in show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and speaking with me about these really important aspects of our lived experience and how we can really just live more fully together in this world. I'm deeply grateful for you, for your friendship, for your wisdom, and to have your voice represented on this podcast series. So thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Megan. This has been such a pleasure and I'm so glad you're doing this. It's so delicious for me to witness you here. Thanks, dear. Till next time. Take care. Thank you, dear listeners, for joining us in this episode of the Living in a Time of Dying podcast. If you are moved by the material discussed here, you can read or listen to more in the eponymous book, Living in a Time of Dying, Cries of Grief, Rage, Love, and Hope, coming soon both in print and audio from booksellers everywhere. And if you want to hear more, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts in order to be updated when new episodes drop. You can also find out more about my work at soulmentor.org. Until next time, remember, you are an enfoldment of the universe showing care to itself. Everything is God. Live well. Die easy. In Love and Rage, I'm your host, Megan Elizabeth Tauk. Take care and be well. Mm -hmm.